1: Welcome to episode 48 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. This week we're speaking with Jackie Martling, the veteran comic who helped make The Howard Stern Show radio's funniest, most revolutionary program. His new book, The Joke Man, Bowed to Stern, recounts his days with Howard and reveals the truth behind his split from the show. You can find out more about the book at jokeland.com, Jackie's long-running website. But before our chat, I wanted to name-check some of the stars in the news lately. Spacey, Affleck, Toback, Piven, Ratner, Hoffman. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. The Harvey Weinstein scandal unearthed a torrent of sex abuse allegations, and I fear it's just beginning. So what does it all mean? Well, for starters, the industry's got some serious damage control to do. The Hollywood brand is under some serious assault, with no end in sight. How Hollywood handles this scandal will speak volumes about the future of the industry, as well as how readily parents say goodbye to their sons and daughters as they hit 18, hoping to reach L.A. and become movie stars. If you were a dad at this point... Would you do that? Would you let your child go? Especially if they were a a beautiful young woman hoping to get a fame and fortune in Hollywood? Boy, I'd have second thoughts myself. Of course, the news cap's a terrible year for Hollywood. Now, the box office is way, way down, and there's lots of different stresses and strains on the movie-going public. You talk about streaming, YouTube, social media. There's a million reasons why we can skip the theaters and just stay home and be entertained, but that's just part of the bigger problem with Hollywood these days. At HollywoodandToto.com, I recently recalled some of the reasons why Hollywood's in trouble and gave seven specific tips where the Hollywood industry can kind of help bounce back from this awful, terrible year. Will they listen? I don't know. I don't think so, but I'm doing my fair share, just making some suggestions, which I think would help out. I wanted to mention two specific examples I listed in that story, because I think they're important. First of all, let the Oscars be the Oscars. Now, We're still a few weeks away from the Oscar ceremony. It comes early March, and uh, that's a long time. You know, who knows what's going to happen between now and then. Maybe the scandal will die down. Maybe it's going to keep growing stronger and stronger as the months go on. But the one thing I know is, please, please, please make the Oscars about Hollywood again. Don't make it about soapbox speeches. Don't make it about Trump and naming names as far as the GOP is concerned, Don't make it one-sided politically, just entertain us. Salute the greatness that is Hollywood. Talk about the best films of the year. Bring out the older actors and actresses who have charmed us for decades. Make it about the spectacle and the greatness of the industry, not about casting stones and attacking different politicians That's not what the evening should be about. It's about celebrating Hollywood and also putting out a three-hour advertisement for the industry. You want to put your best face forward, and making it hyperpolitical is not going to do that. We need a break from the partisanship that's part of these award shows that happens again and again and again. The Oscars is a great place to start. Will it happen? Ah, boy, I don't think so. Jimmy Kimball's going to be the host once more. He's become a hyper-partisan figure. I don't think he has it in him, but boy, I think it would be best for the industry if he just kind of tamped down the politics and celebrated the night, made a whole bunch of really funny jokes, and let everyone just enjoy the experience. That's what it should be about. But another piece I mentioned in my column is... Let's start cutting some corners. You know, over the years, I've interviewed a whole heaping helping of celebrities and filmmakers and screenwriters who work in independent cinema. That usually means the budgets are way, way low. Nothing like a Star Wars or a James Bond film. It's a much smaller scale. So how do they tell stories? Well, they cut corners. They make sacrifices. They change on the fly. They deal with uh, unexpected situations, and they do it by being clever, by being ingenious, and also just changing things on the fly as they have to do it. It keeps them under budget. So why don't the big budget studios do the same thing, or at least something similar? Now, you can't make a Star Wars movie and make it under $50 million. It's just not possible. The audience expects that razzle-dazzle. But for a lot of other films... Make them leaner and meaner. And that's going to do two things. One, it's going to prevent studios from getting those massive flops where their bottom line is just absolutely savaged by one single movie. But more importantly, if less and less is on the line, economically speaking, then the studios can take more chances. They don't have to make that movie about a board game or about a toy or about some movie that no one cared about 20 years ago that they need to reboot today. They can push some of those projects aside and get more creative, get more innovative, and tell more original stories. I think that will do some help as far as repairing the damage that's been done to Hollywood with these reboots and sequels and remakes. Sure, some of them are good, some of them are fun, but I think the industry itself has a horrible reputation now for a lack of original creative stories. And reducing those budgets will lessen the pressure on the studios and let them more open to those kind of tales and bring people back into theaters. Now, those are just two steps. I think it's going to be a long, complicated process, and maybe the the winds of change are, are making it impossible to bring back the old Hollywood days. Maybe there's just too many temptations on streaming channels right now and other venues. Maybe this is just a new age of consuming content. But you know what? I still love Hollywood at its core. I still root on the industry, and I still hope they can bring more and more good movies to theaters. I just want to suggest some reasons how to do just that. Franklin Graham calls it a must-see. Don't you dare tell me about the love and the compassion of your so-called God. Mike Huckabee calls it a giant step forward for the faith-based genre. Do you believe that God hears. God always answers prayers. Jerry Falwell Jr. says Let There Be Light offers forgiveness and hope when it's needed most. Kevin Sorbo and Sean Hannity present the most anticipated Christian movie of the year. Let There Be Light. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. Now playing. Find a theater at LetThereBeLightMovie.com. My hit tip of the week is Kidnap. The Halle Berry thriller made a modest $30 million at the box office earlier this year. Not a big hit for sure, but not a disaster, but certainly not the kind of film that's going to make big, big waves at the cinema. But it's perfect for home video watching. Trust me. Barry plays a single mom whose adorable little kid is kidnapped right in front of her, practically. Now the chase is on. She's going to run down the bad guys, try to get her kid back, but of course, it's not going to be so easy. But this is one protective mama, and she will stop at nothing to get her son back. This is lean and mean storytelling at its best. Of course, you're going to have a few eye-roll moments, absolutely. The ending is a little bit absurd as well, but you know what? You've got an Oscar winner front and center. She's excellent here, and I think when you have that kind of a presence in a movie like this, it adds just enough gravitas to make it worthwhile. This is fun watching, and I really was not, su- not expecting to have so much enjoyment from the movie when I saw it in the theaters, but I did. Kidnap is available now on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital on demand. You are listening to my husband's podcast. He respects women and potted plants. And now let's get to my chat with Jackie the Joke Man Martling. I have to say I am super excited about this one. I grew up on the Howard Stern Show back in New York, which meant I heard Jackie's laugh again and again. It's a great laugh, and he's a very funny guy. He made the Stern Show better, funnier, and more outrageous for a long period of time. And, of course, Stern fans mourned when he left the show. He was replaced by Artie Lang, and kind of a new chapter was born. But, boy, those Jackie years, unforgettable. Now, what happened? What really made him leave the show? Was he conflicted about it? You find out all the real reasons behind the split, and much more that you're not going to expect with his new book, The Joke Man, Bow to Stern. The autobiography autobiography is heartfelt and funny, it's got plenty of really good behind-the-scenes stories, and kind of fills out some of the details that you just didn't know all of when you were listening all those years like I was. You can get the book at Amazon.com, of course. Or you can visit Jackie's website, jokeland.com, and of course find out all more information about Jackie, what he's up to, his different stand-up schedules, and also how you can sign up for his Twitter feed, which spits out a funny joke every day. Here's my interview with the great Jackie the Joke Man Martling. All right, well, Jackie, uh. <laughs> thanks for joining the show. I I've been, Like I said, I've listened to, your, listened to the Stern Show so much when I was a kid. Uh, I wanted to find out The timing of the book is interesting because you've obviously had all these great stories and you've been collecting them and you're sort of a repository for jokes and all the things you've done in show business. What was the reason for doing the book now as opposed to maybe five or ten years ago? Because I think you could have done something pretty similar then. Why did this feel like the right time for you?
0: Well, to tell you the truth, I hit so many dead ends. I hit a lot of snags. You know, I had a deal. Well, when I first got off the show, it just did not feel like... It was not something I wanted to do. I didn't Mm want to, you know, a lot of people said, you should jump right back in and then do a book right away and, you know, and and keep your name out there. And I just, you know, I had bailed from the the whole thing for a little while. So I was just, I was just chilling. And then I collected all my stories for decades. And then I went about trying to get a book deal. And it isn't as easy as it sounds. And uh, I hit a couple of... I had a couple of people working with me that thought we had a home run and then we didn't get anything. And then finally, like last year, a guy circled back around and said, what's the story with your book? I said, well, you know, nobody's done. Uh, nobody wanted it. And he said, well, I can certainly, uh, get you going, you know? So he got me going and, um, it, 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 it Yes, it's, you know, the longer you wait, you know, it's, it's a miracle. People people still remember, you wouldn't believe, I walked down the streets of Manhattan and people come up and say, oh man, miss you on the show, miss you on the show. I'm like, man, that was 16 <laughs> years ago. You know, it, it's kind of flattering, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, you made an impact, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, and, it, it, and it's fun, you know, so, uh, and the, re- <clears throat> the response to the book has been crazy over the top. I mean, I, I can't tell you how flattered and thrilled. You know, I had a party at the Friars Club the other night, and, you know, I felt like they were making me chief. You know, it was really nice.
1: You know, I think what people may be surprised by the book is, you know, there's a lot of Hollywood mudslinging in the world, and that's sort of what we do today. Your book is not that. There's no real swipes against people. Maybe some marginal at at best, but I I was kind of curious. Have you always been kind of at peace with, with your time on the show, and... I, I have always been at peace
0: with everything. You know, people laugh at me because I tell them I'm a hippie. I'm a gentle guy from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't care about money and all that crap. And I said, well, how could you leave the show over money? And it, it wasn't anywhere. It wasn't money. It was more about respect. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really thought that, you know, we should have been sharing more. But, um, I've never had any animosity or craziness. You wouldn't believe some of the reviews people have given me that, like, Jackie touted this as a tell-all book and a really explosive autobiography, and it's not that at all. I have never, ever claimed that I was going to write a tell-all or could write. I had no intention of it. And there isn't any, there isn't any heavy gossip. Like everything that happened on the Stern show (laughs) was there. (laughs) Everybody knows, you know, All you're doing is you're hearing my version of it. My point of view,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but people are, Oh, Jackie Baton switched this. He, you know, he made us think that this is going to be something that Howard would, you know, and I don't know where they got that from or whether they just assumed it. You know, somebody wrote, we've waited 20 years for a tell all biography and, this is the crap we get. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, a great book with fun stories to make everybody happy. You know, 99% of the people love the book, you know?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of humanity in the book. It's one of the things I enjoyed the most about it. Just, it felt real, it felt raw, it felt honest. And what I want to focus on specifically was how conflicted you were about leaving the show. You you loved it, and that's never been more clear. But it was killing you in a <laughs> sense. Uh, I, I think it's a great, sort of. A, it really captures what it means to be Sacrificing for our art. I mean, I know you're a you're a joke teller, and that's that's not fine art, but it's art all the same. Was that the toughest part to write for the book? It was sort of getting that right and and kind of making it as honest <coughs> well, as possible. Well, I didn't.
0: I you know what it is. I didn't get it right at all because there is no right and wrong. All I mm-hmm. could do was lay out for everybody the facts, the figures, what was going on in my mind, and basically hand it to the reader and go here. Here's the facts, what would you have done? Mm-hmm. you know i mean i was I was rich and famous and miserable, and I knew I had to break the log jam, and I didn't know how i- it's like I had to break the egg to make an omelette you know i I knew I wouldn't get divorced, I wouldn't quit drinking, I wouldn't take a nap, I'd stay miserable and make more money and be more miserable, and I didn't want to wind up dead. It's not like I was drinking myself to death, but I was certainly working myself you know into the ground. And I'm a guy who's like in the 70s I was running around I didn't have a penny in my pocket and it wasn't a happier camper people are like what the hell's wrong with you and I'm you know I'm telling my jokes to people and drinking and laughing and smoking pot and getting laid and I couldn't have been happier and then all of a sudden here it is 20 years later and I got millions of dollars and I'm a miserable prick because and it's not because I'm miserable it's because I'm so tired all the time I don't know if you've ever been sleep deprived but there is just, ah, oh, you know, you can only look at the, the millions of dollars in your bank book once, and then you walk away, and it, it just doesn't do any magic. That doesn't put sleep in your head. Yeah. As as silly and elementary as that sounds, that is really the crux of the whole thing, and people can't believe it, but, you know.
1: Well, I think everyone has I, their I own story. I
0: just say that's the, ser- <laughs> that's the story, Eddie, yeah. you know?
1: I think a lot of people have their own sort of biological clock. Some people are night people. Some people are morning people. And you just read, you just talked about how you just like to stay up later at night. And that was just part of your persona. So I totally get that.
0: Well, no, well, it's been my whole life. <laughs> you know, my whole life of playing music and drinking and being a rock and roller. You know, even if you're a bad rock and roller, you're out all night. And then in comedy, you're out all night. And all of a sudden, my, complete, my life was completely turned upside down. And then doing comedy again on the weekends, it was... Listen, I'm giving out the way to get the book. If you want to get my book, go to JackieTheJokeMan.com. That's the URL that gives you the hardcover or the Kindle and the audio book, which I recorded myself. And Artie Lang did the forward to the book, but he recorded the audio Uh for the uh, forward, which is just so fun. So go to JackieTheJokeMan.com. Please buy a copy. Please give me a review. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt this with a... I've been doing that I've been on automatic pilot to get this thing sold cuz uh, I what I want to be able to do Chris is be able to do the second series because I mm-hmm. have a whole nother 300 page book sitting oh, okay. in my computer it was like Sophie's Choice, trying to decide what goes in and what doesn't. You uh, know what
1: I mean? Jackie, if you didn't plug on my pr- podcast, I would be insulted. So <laughs>
0: Good, that's what away. I want to hear. That's <laughs> what, I tweet a joke every day at 420 International Marijuana Time, at Jackie Martling. See? Yeah. I never disappoint, Chris. There
1: you go. <laughs> well, well, let's talk yeah. a little bit about the drinking, because I think the book is really honest about that part of you. You know, it would have been more cliché to say that you were killing yourself with drinking. It was different. Your story was different. What do you want readers to take away from that part of the book? Because that's really important, it's sort of <clears throat> integral to your story in a sense.
0: You, well, you know what? It, everybody is different. You know what I mean? That, it, uh, who knows? Who knows what what uh, what is too much when it comes to drinking and drugging? And you know, it's 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 such an individual thing, and it can be such a problem. It, it was a problem in my life, but it wasn't the, the drinking was just one of the things added in, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's hard to pinpoint what was the source of problem. My, my problem was I got off the show, and all I had was free time. I had so much free time, and I was still doing comedy and do what I do. But that show probably saved my life. 15 years of getting up at 4.30 in the morning, all of a sudden now I was free all day. And I said, you know what? I cannot sit around every day of my life waiting for 5 o'clock so I can start drinking. So maybe the secret would be to have it never be 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I just quit. And it was, the, you know, I'm not saying people should quit. There's lots of people that can have a drink of, of a glass of wine with dinner or get drunk one night a week. And God bless them. I just can't do that. You yeah. know, like when my engine starts, it starts. And uh, as far as for me, it's it's... It's just been wonderful. You know, I still smoke a little pot, but not much. And um, I just, li- I have a great life. I live on the water with a beautiful girl, and I do my comedy shows, and I wrote my book. And, uh, you know, I I'm, i just, I've been very, very lucky. I've had my share of bad luck and good luck. But uh, I might have got out in time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I might have driven head on into a tree. Who knows? You know what I mean? Uh, Wait, but so the whole thing about the book is is so crazy cuz I'm such a hypocrite cuz I wrote to them and said, "Listen, I would love to come back on the show after a couple months." I was like, you know, this was, you know, I, I missed it so much and they never called me back. But if they had called me back, I would have gone back on and who knows what would have happened. Would I have lasted another 5 years? Would I still be there? Would I be dead? You know, you never know if is the biggest word in the world. You know, if a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass,
1: you know? (laughs) You know, I was reading the book, really brought back some great memories for me and all the bits you guys did. One thing I thought about is, you know, a lot of stuff that was happening in the 80s and 90s might be tough to do today. We live in a much more PC climate. I think you guys sort of walked near the edge of good taste and that was sort of part of your skill. As a comedian, you're still out there on the stage what are your thoughts about the current comedy culture? I I ignore it.
0: I ignore it. I just do what I do. I go out and tell dick jokes, uh, (laughs) racist jokes. They're not real racist, but, Uh you know, borderline. If anybody comes to my show and doesn't realize that all I'm doing is trying to make people laugh, Mm -hmm. you know, they're idiots. And I've been doing the same thing forever, and... And it makes people feel good. And they come up and say, you know, it's really nice that it's just relaxed and you laugh. And especially in today's not just PC climate, but with the crazy Trump and the world and the situation, it's just so nice to go up and laugh at sex and poop and just leave the, all the problems at the door for an hour and a half. You yeah. know what I mean? I don't talk about, you know, the situation in the world or what's going to happen when they, when they drop the I, you know. You got plenty of time to worry about that crap. Let's think about you know pooping and and getting a girl in the back seat of a car and just being idiots for a little while. You know, there's a lot to be said for that. You know.
1: Yeah. No, it's a great escapism for sure. You know, obviously you're sort of a, a walking archive of jokes, and I was kind of curious how social media has affected you as a, as an entertainer. I know you do the the sort of the tweet joke blast each day, but do you does it help you social media? Do you just think it's sort of part of the natural you know, it's it just what you do as a comedian in twenty seventeen. Or-
0: you know, I I I can't even get a you know for years. You know, I mailed out so much stuff. That's how I got to meet Rodney. That's how I got to meet Howard. You know, it was just from mailing stuff and mailing stuff. And all of a sudden, the the ability to email and tweet and it's just such instant con- communication it's something you could never have dreamed of. And it's almost mind boggling. It's kind of like being somebody that was born in 1900 and then seeing a plane go overhead. Like what (laughs) the hell, you know, um, it's a, it's a wonderful tool and so great, but like anything, it can be so, you know, you know, all of a sudden there's a, there's a hip hop person you never heard of in your life. And they've got 75 million followers and like, Jesus Christ, I've been at this for seven decades, you know, I got 40 people, (laughs) you know, so you get a little nutty, but uh, it's it's exciting, you know, every new thing is exciting, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean, Yep. I I, I can't imagine, you know, I just was at this, this, signing at this place called The Vault at Victor Records, and it was the birth, Victor Records was there at the birth of sound design, and it was their idea to make, you know, these wax discs that you put the sound on and it's just, you think about how groundbreaking that was then, you know, all of a sudden Enrico Caruso, they say, Hey, we're going to put your voice on this disc and you can play it back, you know, like Jesus Christmas, you know, <laughs> Oh, Jesus.
1: You've been talking about some of the reaction to your book so far. Uh, you know, if you ask me just blankly, what, what I connect with you and your time with the show, I, I I go to Jackie Puppet. What's What's been the sort of the common refrain from fans of the show who are either reacting to the book or just going kind of reminiscing about your time on the show?
0: The most, a real lot of people say that they're reading it in one sitting, mm-hmm. that one thing leads to the next, leads to the next, and it's so nice because it's stories they've heard, but there's a little backstory to everything. You know, and finding out where the Jackie puppet came from, people are, are pleasantly surprised and they, and they think it's fun, and, you know, uh, and every, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, why didn't Billy read some of the passages of the joke, uh, of your joke book? I mean, of your of your autobiography. But he will, you know, mm-hmm. eventually we'll go around and do all kinds of stuff with this thing, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the the reaction from the fans, <clears throat> except for the people that are pissed off that it wasn't more, you know, uh, dirt. I, somebody wrote to me. Uh, I think he. I think it was even on Amazon. There's a lot of great reviews, but somebody wrote. This was supposed to be a tell-all book. This is garbage. This is Jackie being nice. This is Jackie trying to audition to get his job back. <laughs> the <laughs> guy accused me of using the book to get my job back. <laughs> you know, like some people are saying, how can you be so mean to Howard? And other people are saying, why can't you? Why are you so nice? Somebody, why isn't there dirt on Fred and Gary and Robbie? It's not their book, and it's not my place. Yeah, I'm not the kind of guy that's got dirt to say. I'll tell you about the funny things that happen with them. But, you know, I'm not going to speculate on anybody's marriage or, or you know, that that's just not me. I don't do that, you yeah. know.
1: You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. You know, I think looking back at your time on the show, the... Uh, the Howard Stern show kind of intersected with pop culture in some crazy ways, the New Year's Eve special and the, uh, all the different things, the movie. Looking back at sort of how it expanded, was there one particular moment you're particularly proud of?
0: Um, <clears throat> particularly proud you know, there, there were definitely epiphanies. Um, the the moments I really loved were uh, when we came into a new uh, uh, city. Mm-hmm. Often Howard would do a press conference and I would write a speech for the press conference and very often it'd be pretty wild and weird and when that particular city of course it would be in the news that in the paper the next day that Howard had come on the air there and they would always quote from his press conference and they would always you know, they'd always lead with something funny he said and it was usually something I wrote. Now that <laughs> Always made me proud yeah. when we started in Detroit or when we started in Denver, you know, like uh, I can't even quote you something in particular, but um, those were always great moments. You, you know, everybody says, what's your favorite guest? What's your favorite time? What's your favorite? month?" It was 15 years of nonstop. I'll tell you, <clears throat> after after the show went to mornings and and it worked, the syndication worked against all everybody said, there's no way that can work. Radio is a local thing. Nobody's going to listen to a show that's not local, and this completely blew that away. When he went on in Philadelphia, and Washington, and it went big time, it was just, you know uh, just a question of time before all the dominoes started to fall. And after a couple of years, even after a year, I'd get interviewed, and people would say, "Oh, you know," the reporter would say, "You know, you guys are so great, but how long can it last?" <laughs> And then three years later, I'd get interviewed, and they'd say, you know, the show is so great. But how long can it last? And I'm telling you, Christian, every, every time I got interviewed, but, you know, all of a sudden there's the Channel 9 show, and then we're number one in Philly, and then we're number one in L.A., and then there's the book, and then there's the pay-per-view, and then there's the movie. And they're always, how long can it last? How long?" And it just lasted and lasted. You know, I walked in in 1983 and sat down with Howard and Robin and Fred. And my last day on the show in, May, uh, in March of 2001, it was me and Howard and Robin and Fred. You know, just the magic stayed and worked and just kept working. And if I call in today, and they get on the phone, we click right back into a, it's almost like places, action. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's 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 a it's a definite chemistry, and everybody knows it. I, I think Howard uh doesn't really acknowledge it as much as I think he should because, you know, he really thinks it's the show is entirely him and it is ninety nine point nine percent him, but the other little bit of spice really added to the mix. You know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And uh I, I think on some level he must know that and appreciate that. I had one last question. You know, I think about listening to the show at at its peak with you, it seemed like almost like podcasting in that the, you, you guys would shove the commercials away and say, hey, we're going to keep running with this bit. It's funny. We're not going to stop. We're not going to hit the break. We're not going to do the news and weather. Do you kind of connect what, what you guys did uh, with the podcasting revolution today? Because it just feels so free for You, you know what? I've never, I've never done
0: that. I've never made that leap. But you had to be there. Uh, I would like to just have 20 seconds of footage of me sitting there and Fred sitting to the left of me and Howard going on and on, and Fred pulling his hair out. He did everything but set himself on fire to get Howard to go to commercial break. And he just wouldn't, and he just wouldn't. And then we would pile up the breaks, and we'd wind up doing double breaks. I, The guy that taught me to play guitar used to work in Hicksville, and he said some mornings he would drive from Bayville to Hicksville, a 25-minute drive, and he wouldn't hear any programming Cause we'd be so backed up with spots that he'd do a, a long commercial break and then he'd come back for a quick live spot and then another. The breaks were interminable, but they'd be so backed up because he wouldn't shut the hell up. You know, he'd be on a roll. I, it was so funny. Fred would be like spots. He'd write the word spots and put it in the bin with the jokes. You know, spots, 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 spots. They finally put a a red light on the corner <laughs> of Howard's console. And the light, they just turned the light on in the morning and stayed on all day. Cause it, ah, I don't know if anybody even knew about that. You know, it, there was so many facets to the show. I could just go on and on and on. Every time I start talking about it, I think of things. Oh, I should have mentioned that in the book. Oh, I should, you know just great great stuff you yeah. know
1: well there's always a second book on the way it sounds like you've got that in the works and uh, it's
0: no it's not in the works it's in my computer okay. it was Sophie's <laughs> choice trying to decide what the hell to put in the book it's all the okay. story it's the same thing modular stories All self-contained, funny, silly, you know. I'll send you a couple. See what you think.
1: All righty. Well, again, thank you, Jackie, for joining the Hollywood and Toto podcast. The new book is The Joke Man, Bow to Stern, a real treat for Howard Stern fans and a peek into the heart of a born entertainer. You can get it at Amazon.com and also visit Jackie's site at Jokeland.com. Jackie, uh, all the great, all the best, and uh, thanks for the great memories. Really appreciate it.
0: I really appreciate uh, the airtime, Christian. Thank you.
1: Take care. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out hollywoodandtoto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter, at HollywoodandToto, and And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at myhealthpolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I
0: met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face
1: and done.